If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hands. We have plenty. You can even keep the one that uh, it should be marked already. Uh, I do see a hand or two. So uh, this is a verse-by-verse study that we've been uh, in. If you're visiting with us, we're in the book of Galatians. And we started chapter 4 a week ago, and we're going to pick up with where we left off. So if your Bibles are in hand, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 8. Galatians, uh, if you're new to the Bible, is in the New Testament, also known as the New Covenant. Starting with verse 8, Paul speaking again, Paul writing to the Galatians, and I'm just going to read the first... I read the first uh, four or five verses here, so starting with verse 8. But, in, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. We'll stop right there. Lord, we again, we pray for the Holy Spirit now to be in this place. We know that you're here, but Lord, we pray that uh, you would move and you would quicken your word. For Lord, you know what each person, each and every single heart needs. And Lord, you would do that perfect work. With one word, you would hit... 100 plus bullseyes, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember, um, some of you probably remember, I, wasn't, I, I was born the year Coca-Cola came out with the slogan, The Real Thing, 1969. And it's still on the can, right? It says, The Real Thing. And then in uh, 1971, I, I, I kind of remember this uh, as a tiny kid. They had those songs, I'd like to teach the world to sing, you know. That was actually part of the Real Thing campaign. It actually went on for a few years. And, uh, but even today, you know, Coke still has this thing, the real thing. And, you know, there is a difference when you pop a ice-cold Coke open versus, like, a Walmart brand soda or something like that. There really is a difference. Uh, and I don't even understand. Coke, ha- out of the can, has that bite. You know, you can tell. It's something, hey, this is a check. You know, you know uh, which one is which. We like real things, don't we? And most women want a real diamond. I mean, cubic zirconias, maybe you, they look similar from a distance, but most people want a real diamond for their engagement ring. You know, you get... Fake metals, they might look real for a little while, and then all of a sudden, it's turning green. My finger's turning green. You know, all these things that, that are not the real thing. I like real ice cream. Just three or four ingredients. Not 16 with, I don't know how many syllables that are on, dio, you know, whatever it is on there, mono, something. We like real things. When it comes to religion, there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of flavors of religion. There's a lot of religions that have been around for a long time. There's a lot that are very new, but none of them are the real thing except that which Jesus Christ delivered. Amen. Amen. And they can look really close. They can look very close to the real thing, just like a cubic zirconia can, but they're not the real thing. Fake currency can look pretty good until someone who really knows what they're looking for can immediately tell, no, this is, this is not authentic. 
We need the real thing. There's no other saving power but the real gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, I titled our time in God's Word this morning, Say No to Empty Religion. And even after you're saved, you have to say no to empty religion. We'll talk a little bit about that. Because you can be saved and still kind of get caught up in empty religion. And we want to look at uh, a few things this morning. The first thing we want to look at is found uh, in verse in verse 8 here. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature were not God. A little bit of review this morning. Do you remember your past life before Jesus Christ? I got, remember I told you I got saved in college, so I remember it well. I, I was following certain things in life, but they were the things that I thought would bring happiness, the things that I thought would be, bring pleasure. Some of the things that before Christ we'd like to forget, right? You look back and say, you know, I don't want to think on that too long. It really mess up this service. So don't think on it too long. But whether we realize it or not, we were serving other gods. The gods of ourselves, the gods of the weekend. Remember that song, Everyone is Working for the Weekend? There's still a lot of that, right? The gods of the weekend, the gods of pleasure, the gods of education, maybe a whole different religion. And some people have tried multiple religions. We had Sam Nadler here you know, a few weeks back. Uh, he, he actually was involved in three or four other religions before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, even after growing up uh, in a, a deeply Jewish community there in uh, New York. But sometimes it's the gods of relationship, the gods of career, or just the god of just trying to survive. There's a lot of people in that, in that world. Maybe you're here this morning, you're still serving other gods. You may not view them as gods, but if your life revolves around anything but the true and living God, and it revolves around anything but God the Father, you're bowing to other gods, whether you know it or not. The Galatians, the the people of the Galatians, remember that they were a a region, if you look at the map of Turkey, Galatia is like dead center of what is modern-day Turkey, right there in the middle there, that was Galatia. The Galatians, they were an ethnic people there. Prior to hearing and responding the gospel, they were polytheistic. means that they worshipped many gods. Poly meaning many. They openly worshipped a variety of gods. They practiced pagan rituals uh, as part of the fabric of their lives. So these pagan festivals and rituals that come along. If you were here back when we were in chapter 1 when we introduced this study and an overview, overview of the Galatian people... And their history, you know they were Celtic. You say, really? Like, like Celtic like uh, Ireland? Yes. Well, not exactly. We'll get to that. They were Celtic in their origin. They came from Gaul. Where's Gaul? It's modern-day France. If you look on a map of France and you go up on the corner there where you, where you would take the channel from, uh, uh, from England over to France, you've got Brittany up there, and that is still to this day, that part of France is still Celtic up there. That's where we get, uh, but that Gaul is where we get the term Gaelic, right? So, you, you know, the term Gaelic, it's a, it's, a, it's a dialect. It's still used in Celtic areas of Ireland. It's still used in Celtic areas of England, and it's still used in Celtic areas there in that coastal area of France. It's believed that all Celtic people descend from an area of southern Germany and Austria. That's where the original Celtic tribes were, in southern Germany, Austria, uh, where you'll find the Danube River. You ever heard of the Danube River? It's the longest river in Europe. 
many historians and etymologists believe uh, that uh, even the Danube River may have been named for the goddess Danu. Uh, and the goddess Danu is one of the uh, gods that the, uh, the Celtic people or the Gauls worshipped. Uh, there's also, by the way, a Danu in the Hindu gods, in the Hindu pantheon of gods, they also have a Danu, which is actually kind of interesting because they actually have quite a few similarities um, with the, some of the things that were in the ancient Hindus as well as the ancient Celtic. And there's actually some uh, belief that they actually had cross-pollinated at times. But at any rate, a study of the ancient Celts, uh, as recorded by the Greeks and Romans, they don't, there's not a lot of manuscripts directly from the ancient Celtic people, but they were written on by the Greeks and the Romans who, who had uh, used them in their armies and had written about their culture and their ethnicity. And what's revealed is the worship of many gods and many goddesses, the worship of visible elements. They worship things like the stars, trees, rivers, mountains, animals, and birds. Uh, they believed that there was magical and supernatural power. Even things like fairies today came, came all the way from their religious beliefs. When we talk, when we see little you know, movies about fairies, that goes all the way back to Celtic and the Druid priesthood that actually uh, administered the religion. But they believed in these magical and supernatural powers, and they thought, they thought like, again, that birds could give them, just the sound of birds could bring healing when the birds are singing, things like that. They offered sacrifices to these gods. They even had human sacrifice as well as animal sacrifice farther back. Now, that wasn't taking place by the time the Galatians, that had gone away. It was basically just the, the idols and, and worshiping the things. But if you go way back, uh, it, it was pretty bad. But by the time Paul gets to the Galatians, they had little shrines and they had images of the gods that they worshiped. And much of the same things had, had, had come down through the ages. Now, the Greeks and the Romans, which, you know, Paul, was, um, Paul had Roman citizenship. Of course, the whole Roman Empire in that area um, was under Roman rule. Uh, the R- Greeks and Romans, they were also polytheist. Uh, and it appears that under Greco-Roman rule that the Galatians and Celts uh, of other parts, whether it was in Gaul or other parts of the Roman Empire, that the Celtic people or the, the Galatians or the Gauls, they started to adopt Greek and Roman gods as well, and gods and goddesses. So Apollo and Zeus and all of these other gods, they incorporated them into the original Celtic gods. Now notice the accuracy of, of Scripture and what Paul says here. He says, but indeed, you then, uh, when you did not know God, you serve those which by nature are not gods, plural. Paul making this statement here that they were polytheistic, that they worship gods, plural, not just a god, but they worship multiple gods. Do you think it's, don't you think it's interesting that all the people groups all over the world found something to worship? It doesn't matter when missionaries got to Fiji, when they got to Australia, whether it was Africa, South America, didn't matter where in the world, Iceland, no matter where you would go, people were worshiping something everywhere. It's been placed in the heart of man to worship and revere something. I mean, I like sports. I do. 
That's why men can, they can worship at the stadium like you ain't never seen. It's in the heart of man to worship something. It's been well said that everyone is worshiping something. Even atheists, they're, they're worshiping something. Maybe knowledge, maybe themselves. Uh, Martin Luther said, The different religions to be found among all the nations at all times bear witness to the fact that all men have a certain intuitive knowledge of God. They know they have to worship something. They're drawn to worship something. God put it in the heart of man. Paul noticed this when he was in Athens. He said, you have, a, you have a, uh, an inscription to an unknown God. He goes, I can tell you about that unknown God. What's clear is that when the gospel was presented to the Galatians, they were pagan worshipers. They were following many gods. They were following many desires. Not a single deity such as Islam today. You know, Islam uh, it worships one deity, Allah. By the way, Allah is not the same as Yahweh. Amen. Anyone that says they're the same God, they're not. That's a whole different study. But, but it's, it is a single deity. They don't wor- you know, Islam doesn't worship uh, a pantheon of gods. It's just a single deity. Uh, now, when Paul got to the Galatians, they weren't practicing Judaism. Judaism, of course, worships a single deity, monotheistic. Judaism was one God, right? It's the true and living God, which, like the gospel... We have the true and living God. Judaism does have the true and living God. Unfortunately, they aren't following what the true and living God has actually given. But they do have the right God. But they weren't serving the God of Israel when Paul got there. They were not practicing Judaism. They were practicing their polytheistic, Celtic religions. Now, this is the whole source of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Because they weren't under... Uh, they weren't under Judaism. Hebrew Judaism was introduced to them sometime later after Paul had discipled them in the truth and the gospel, and they had come to true salvation. Then Judaism was introduced to them. And here Paul is reminding them that they, they formerly served uh, other gods, and they served the lies that had been passed down from generation to generation of these false religions, that they had been lost and without hope. And that things like a spirit and a tree actually couldn't help them. No, only the one who created the tree and died on a tree could help them. The same was and is true for us. Only Christ, only Christ could rescue us from our former deceptions, whatever they were. It didn't matter if it was Celtic, it didn't matter if it was Aborigines, it didn't matter if it was, you know, in Central Africa, China, Japan. Same as us, only Christ could rescue us from our former deceptions. Let's take a look at the next verse, starting in verse 9 here. If you're taking notes, we looked at the past life, the pseudo-faith starting in verse 9. Um, but now, after you have known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to these weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? Some of the most difficult words in all of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. You may have read this and may have jumped off the page the first time you ever read it in your Bible. Jesus speaking, he says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now, these are people that were religious he's talking about. He's like, at the end of the age, there'll be people that will say, but I went to church every Sunday. Well, not every Sunday, but most well, then after a while, I only went twice 
a month, but, but I started out going every Sunday, and I really, really was into all that stuff, and I walked forward at a Billy Graham crusade, or I did this, and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, Matthew chapter 7, 23. Because he said, many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day. It may be an uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable to read. But Jesus is telling us what is true. It would actually jar us to stick and cling to the real thing. Those who are religious, they know God. But those who are born again by the Spirit are known by God. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, religious people know God. Religious people look out at that dollar bill and say, in God we trust. Yeah, I believe in God. God we trust. God bless America. Well, it, it, one of the most insincere things you can see is some of our politicians close a speech with God bless America. You know they don't talk to God. You know they don't even care about what they just said. It's such an insincere thing, but when they stand face-to-face before God one day, God says, you use my name a lot, but I didn't really know you. And it might have worked on the campaign trail. But God knows the real thing. He knows if we know him, and he knows who his own are. And so Paul says, you've, you've come to be known by God. Now, understand, it is possible. It is possible this is good news for all of us here. It is possible for someone who has been saved to go off course. It is possible for someone who is saved to wander off like a lamb and get stuck in a thicket. But if the faith is genuine, and Paul appears to think that the the Galatians had genuine faith. You can tell that he thinks their faith is genuine, but he thinks something's gone wrong here. You've gotten off course. You've started to follow down the wrong path. But he thinks they are like lambs that really are saved, if you really are a lamb, Christ will bring you back. He'll put you up on his shoulders, and he'll bring you back. If you're not a lamb, you're not coming back. You're going to keep on going. Say, look, you know, not coming back to the flock because I'm not of the flock. John wrote of this. He goes, they went out from among us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But all of us, like sheep, have gone astray at times. We've all wandered, but if you're saved... You'll respond well to someone who sends you an email and says, Hey, haven't seen you much lately. You'll be like, Get off me! Why are you bothering me? Don't judge me. And you'll be like, Man, I'm so glad you reached out. Yeah, I've been bummed out lately. This, that. See, lambs will come back. So it is possible. Paul delivered to the Galatians the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of faith alone that had saved Abraham, that had saved Uh, The prophets of old, they had looked forward to the Messiah. The same gospel that Moses and the prophets had looked forward to, we look back to. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that was given was that Jesus was born under the law, which we looked at last week. Yes, Jesus was born under the law, but he kept the law to perfection. Then he delivered everyone from the law through his death and resurrection. For all who would believe in him, they were delivered from the curse of the law, and they were then brought into saving faith and surrender to Christ. Now, but shortly after the Galatians had come to that place, that beautiful place of saving faith, shortly after this, they take a turn in a different direction. And Paul had left. Again, this is all by way of review. 
so you understand what the context of what he's writing. They had taken some turn away from the simplicity of the gospel. In the Galatians, they were introduced to a different gospel, a tainted gospel, a deceptive gospel, a pseudo-gospel that results in what? A pseudo-faith. A faith in works rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ. On the surface, it may have looked, get this, on the surface, it may have looked like an improved gospel. How could you improve the gospel? Well, the way that these guys who came to them would present it is they, they didn't actually remove Jesus from the equation. After all, this it was Jesus plus the Levitical laws, the Mosaic law, all the customs that had indeed been given to Moses and to the Jewish nation. Plus, they probably had some of the other things that the Pharisees had added, but that notwithstanding, again, they presented to them, hey, now you still have, yeah, Jesus is still part of this equation, plus these other things. By the way, false forms of faith have always found it highly effective to include Jesus in their religion. Let me say that again. False forms of faith have always found it highly effective to include Jesus in their religion. By the way, Islam includes Jesus too. I don't know if you know that. They consider him to be a very good prophet. Matter of fact, you can actually build a bridge to share Christ with Muslims by talking about Jesus because that actually is not an an initial point of confrontation. It's then when you talk about who Jesus is further down the line. But just as far as Jesus has included as many false faith, and many will elevate him to a pretty high level. But he's more than just a pretty high level, isn't he? By the way, Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. Jesus plus the watchtower is a false gospel. Jesus plus the Book of Mormon is a false gospel. Jesus plus the law is a false gospel. In many respects, this turn by the Galatians, this turn, this left turn that they make, or uh, this going in a different direction, is a return to the bondage of the false religion of their past. And by the way, Satan always wants to take you back to your past bondage. The whole term going back to Egypt, the children of Israel for a while wanted to go back to Egypt. Satan always wants to take you back and say, hey, you need to go back there and get chained up again. A return to their past. Albeit this would be a different form of bondage, and interestingly enough, a morally improved form of bondage. Because Judaism actually seeks to actually live a moral life. Would you agree with that? In, in Jewish communities, and ortho, we, we've been to Israel, and we've, we've seen Orthodox communities, and yes, it is, it is, yes, we want to be faithful in marriage. We, there's a lot of good, moral, biblical things to Judaism and the practice of the Judaism uh, faith. But it's not born of the Spirit. Think about it if someone that you know that said, hey, I've come to Christ, give my life to Jesus Christ, if they turned from their born-again faith to Islam, or they turned to Hinduism, or you meet them after you know they were telling people about Jesus, hey, well, I've gave, given that up now, I just joined the Mormon church. After asking Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, they decide, and they tell you, hey, I'm not going back the way I used to live. I'm not going back to lying. 
I'm not going back to violence. I'm not going back to pornography or cheating on my spouse or defrauding people of money. I'm not going back to that stuff. I've found something even better. And I'm going to follow this stuff, and I just have to wear this outfit or do this or act this way, and, and, and I'll still be living a more moral life than I ever have. And they determine to be as faithful and religious as they possibly can, but they're just not trusting in Jesus anymore as their personal Lord and Savior. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He's just not their Savior anymore. And now they will pour their efforts into religious works. And Paul says, why would you return to such beggarly elements, to return to bondage. This is if you go back to our study last week when God says we are sons and daughters of God, we're heirs. This is saying, I don't want to be an heir anymore, I want to be a slave again. Paul's like, this is what, who would make this trade? Paul's like, you've been made an heir and you want to go back to being a slave? Well, we're not going back to Celtic religion, we found Judaism. Paul's like, I grew up in Judaism. This is the irony for Paul. Paul's like pulling his hair out at this point. He's like, I was the king of Judaism, right? Yeah, it, that's the funniest thing when you, uh, you know, you get Americans that have discovered Eastern religion. And then you meet an Eastern religious person who's come to faith in Christ, and they're pulling out their hair like, what are you doing? I grew up in that system. There's no, there's no life there, right? And this is where Paul would be looking at it, like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you go back? Now, for the Galatians... What had been sold to them by the Judaizers uh, may have felt a little bit familiar to them. By the way, Satan knows what feels familiar to you. He knows what what key actually works and which holes in us. It may have felt a little familiar. See, the Jews, they observed a lunar calendar. So did the Gauls and the Celts. They observed a lunar calendar. Uh, The Jews, they observed very specific feasts and festivals that have been given to them by God through Moses. The Celts, they observed very specific feasts and festivals that have been passed down through the Druid priesthood. They're pagan priests. The enemy knows how to appeal to us, how and what makes us susceptible, right? He knows these things. We, we have to understand, we have to have the Holy Spirit reveal our own weaknesses so we're aware of them, right? The Bible, Paul said, we're not, we're not unaware of Satan's devices. We know how he would work. This is why, though, we must know the Word of God, and we have to quote it to ourselves. When something that seems kind of like the real thing presents itself, we can actually tell cubic zirconias from diamonds. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he say to Satan? All three times he replied with the Word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. If you don't know the Word of God, when someone comes to you and says, you know, I know your faith is this, that, and the other, but let me show you this little pamphlet. And I'll show you why you're a little bit misled. That never goes well when they do this with me. Um, I've had them get very, I try and be gracious. They, they end up getting mad. Don't you end up be the one getting mad. I just graciously will share them. So, no, no, I, I understand where you're coming from. I understand where that came from. But let me show you what the Word of God actually says. They can't both be right. They can both be wrong, but they can't both be right. That's a true statement, by the way. They can't both, they could both be wrong. Then we're all lost. They can't both be right, and, but Jesus was right. It's true. It stood the test of time. We have to know the Word of God.
when, and then they're introduced to this law as means of salvation. And rather than reject it, they return again to these uh, elements. And look at verse 10. It says that they observe days and months and seasons and years. And Paul says, I've become afraid for you. Have I, have I labored in vain? I do all this work to, to bring you not just to salvation, but to start to disciple you. Was it all in vain? They begin to uh, return to these empty elements of religion, rituals and practice and outward works. You know, you, you can wear something on your head and dress a certain way. It will not get you to heaven. Amen. You can bow in the, in the direction of Mecca. You can do this. You can do that. You can do all these things. But those things can't atone for sin. Amen. Just, they're just outward things. Paul apparently battled this often for a period of time because he mentions these same teachers of the law. He mentions them to Timothy. And he talks about the fact that uh, he had this conflict with men that were teaching circumcision in Acts chapter 15. And they were telling, un- they were telling people that had come to faith in Christ, unless you're circumcised, you can't actually be saved. Well, that would never go over well preaching that one today, would it? No, that would be really problematic. I won't go any further. This week was Yom Kippur, though. This past week was Yom Kippur. And what a beautiful picture of Christ who is our atonement and our high priest. And so there, there, there is beautiful types in the Old Testament that we still look at, and we have great love for those types today. But, but Yom Kippur itself, if I said, I don't, I'm not going to be saved, I, I don't believe in Jesus, my Lord and Savior, I'm just going to do the Jewish festivals, and that's going to get me to heaven. They won't get you to heaven. Even if you did all of them every year for your entire life, you lived to be 100 The issues of days, the Sabbath, the Jewish feast, they still come up uh, today. And in fact, there seems to be a resurgence of the men in Galatia, even in our time. I, I, for the first time in my life, I've been running into people in the last five years that are returning to the law. I've never really, I'd never seen it in my first 15 plus years of being saved, but in the last five years, I have seen it. Might be another indication we're in the last days because we're seeing some return to some of these things. Uh, but in another place, Paul addresses the legalism or the cancer of legalism. Look, look real quickly at Colossians chapter 2. Take a right turn in Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, then Ephesians is next, then Colossians. I just want you to see another place where Paul addresses this in your Bibles. Uh, Colossians 2. And... I want to read it from verse 11 because it, it's very important to see how Paul presents this. Colossians chapter 2, starting verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which you are raised with him through faith. There it is. Through what? Through faith. In the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. 
Let me break this down. This is an important passage. Now, this is just one of the areas where Paul addresses the Judaizers, those that were trying to introduce the law. Now, notice some people say, no, no, no. Uh, well, circumcision, that might have went away. But now if you don't keep the Sabbath on a Saturday, you're, you're violating the Ten Commandments. No, Paul, this makes, he makes it clear because he says back in verse 11, in him you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So Paul's making the case that these types that were in the past were, were types. They were important. But he says anyone saved has been circumcised by God without hands. Right? Not a nurse when someone is a few days old. This could be someone that gets saved at 90 years of age. God circumcises the heart. In the same way, he said the Sabbath rest was a picture of the rest that would come in Jesus Christ. So he's saying that the, the literal things in the old become the uh, fulfillment when Christ comes in the new. Make sense? In the old covenant, you had these literal things. They were literal tablets. But the Bible says that the commandments are written on the tablets of our heart. Now, I don't have, I don't have granite tablets in here. And the circumcision of my heart was done by the Holy Spirit. And now the Sabbath, which is still important, we have a different... Uh, uh, God speaks to it in this way in the New Testament. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, but even more so as you see the day approaching. So what it means is that we still would gather, and the early church said, we want to gather on the first day of the week because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Paul said, fine. You want to gather on the first day of the week? Go for it. Continue to worship. Have a time to get together, but you're not under the law anymore. Well, what if I win a person to Christ and they're from Mongolia? Do they have to be circumcised? No. Well, they decide they want to have their church service because the way their nation runs, they want to have church on a Monday. Can they do that? Yes. Did you know that we could change our entire church service to Mondays and God would be all right with that? I'm not going to because it doesn't make any sense in the way our culture operates, right? So you have to understand the way the culture operates. So Paul said when he comes there, this is the way the culture operates. Let's find a day that works for the culture. Now, in the millennium reign, the Sabbath will come back again. It's a whole different, Jesus, there'll be a thousand-year reign of Christ. The Sabbath will come back. Sacrifices come back to the temple. There's no temple today anyway to do sacrifices. So you know that we're in a different dispensation. It's called the dispensation of the age of grace right now. So, I'm going to stop here today. So I'm learning not to go over time. It's been a slow process for me, but I'm learning this, and I've got a part two. So if you want to hear part two, you're going to have to come back next week because there's more of this, and we'll dig a little bit more into uh, verses, where are we at here? Uh, Verses uh, 13, uh, I didn't even cover verse 12 yet, yet, but uh, verses 12 through 20. So we're going to stop, we're going to stop there, and we'll pick it up. But here's the thing. God wants you to know that everything written from Genesis to Revelation, it all fits perfectly. Um, Satan tries to distort it. We love what God gave to Moses and the Old Testament prophets. 
we now see the fulfillment of these were the things that said the prophets looked into what these things would mean what would it mean that jesus would fulfill the rest of the sabbath well the why this is so important as we come to a close is you know if the only spiritual refreshing you could possibly get was the one day a week whether it be a saturday or a sunday you're in trouble the rest of the week aren't you right you need the living Sabbath on Monday morning. You're going to need it on Tuesday. You may need it next month more than you've ever needed it before. We all may need it. We might have something happen in this country that rocks our world. And you need a Sabbath rest in Jesus that's bigger than a day, that's more than about a day, but that takes place in the heart. Amen? And this is what... This is what Paul is saying to Galatians. Like, you can't return to physical stuff which really can't help you. You have to hold on and cling to what God did in you, not try and do something outside of you. That's what the Lord delivered. Well, I hope you'll join us next week. We'll pick it up with part two. Uh, we'll finish out um, through verse 20. But as we come to a close, I'm just going to invite the worship team back up. We'll close in song. And I just want to, you know, with our heads bowed for just a moment. Maybe there's someone here, and I, I said at the beginning, that, that perhaps you're still worshiping false gods and don't know it. Maybe you uh, are still believing that, um, that going to church or something that uh, you could do for yourself or maybe some belief system, or maybe that you said a, a prayer when you were five, but you, you know you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. He wants to meet you and save you even this very day. Or maybe you've never really heard the gospel. You're just someone invited you here. But you only have to hear it once for the Holy Spirit to let it go in like an arrow and say, this is for you. This is to change you. This is to save you for all eternity. Or maybe you're trying to find peace and joy and, and, uh, in things of this world. If that would work, then there should be no greater evidence than the Hollywood and music industry. You know, the number of that, that commit suicide, die early, because they have no peace, even though they have millions of dollars in homes in New York and L.A. and Aspen, and yet they have no peace. And they're at the Betty Ford Clinic 21 times in a lifetime. And you say, what is the problem? Or, or six or seven marriages. Trying to find, you'll never find peace in a relationship. You'll never find peace in stuff, even if you've got all the money in the world. Look at all the people that have won the lottery and are bankrupt within five years. Because they thought that money could solve what only Jesus Christ in the heart can solve. And the Galatians, they found the real thing. But even after you find the real thing, brother and sister, don't let Satan lead you back to bondage. If you've wandered off, just tell God, I'm sorry, and I'm coming back. I just want to lead a prayer. If there's anyone here, you can just pray right where you're at. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you pray this prayer, that you would actually, I'll have uh, a couple of men over in the corner and uh, a 
couple ladies as well that can pray with you. But with our heads bowed, you just take a moment. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to be saved and to be cleansed from sin and the guilt, the shame, and and Lord wants to give you what he calls living water. Just pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Cleanse me from my sins. Forgive me for violating all of your law and commandments. But wash me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to follow you all the rest of my life. I want to be your son or daughter. Please save me from sin and the judgment to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.